right, welcome everyone to the Elevating Your Potential podcast, where we enlighten middle school and high school student athletes about the realities of college sports. Now, usually I say I'm excited about a, an episode, but I'm extremely excited about this one, and y'all see why in a second. Um, so we have Darian Smith on today. He's from Bloomington, Indiana, and attended Indiana University to pursue a diving career. Darian was a four-time All-American and a four-time Big Ten champion. He was also a two-time conference diver of the year. Darian received his bachelor's degree in liberal studies. And after, well, actually during your time, um, you were on the U.S. national diving team from 2013, 2016, correct? Mm -hmm. And then you also were a part of the world championship team in 2015, which I just found out is a very, very huge accomplishment. After his athletic career um, was over, he began a coaching career. He spent one season as a diving coach at East Carolina where they went on to win the AAC title. Then he transitioned to SMU where he was, where he's been named for three consecutive seasons, the men's diving coach of the year in the conference. I can go on and on about this guy. And if you met him, you would never know any of these things because he's so humble and so genuine. So without further ado, Darian Smith, welcome on. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem, man. Um, and so my first question, I typically start out with the best, who's the best athlete or diver you've ever seen, but I want to start a little bit different. Um, okay. So diving is a new sport to me. So can you mm -hmm. walk me and the audience through what, like the sport of diving, what makes it so unique and uh, what have you learned through diving over the years? I think the biggest thing, the biggest difference with diving is you're a part of a diving team generally, and you're a part of a swimming and diving team but it's such an individual sport um whatever points you score at any event it goes towards the overall swimming and diving score for that meet or championship um, and it definitely helps the the swimmers out but when you're in it when you're an individual it feels like it's you're the only one in the building you, you kind of just think about you um not in a selfish way but um, it, you can't control what the whole diving team does or what the whole swimming team does. And you're just trying to think of how to perform the best and do the best list of dives that you can do. Uh, to break diving down, we do um, three different events. There's a one-meter springboard, which is the lowest springboard. Everybody's seen that at an outdoor pool, um, your community pool. Maybe a YMCA might have one. Um, and then the next event is a three-meter springboard which that one still bounces it's just three meters high nine feet um and then at some olympic caliber facilities you guys may have seen the platforms or if you've ever watched the olympics you see the concrete that they jump off of which is super high that tallest platform is uh, almost 34 feet high um so there's definitely an element of fear in there for a lot of people um <laughs> Divers tend to have some loose screws, and I think you got to have a screw loose to uh, to fling yourself off of that with multiple flips and twists. Yes, indeed. Yes, I would have to definitely agree with that. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, thank you for giving us that um, kind of breakdown, because when I found out you were a diver, I'm like, I've, I've seen it, but I don't know exactly what this is. So, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, not many people do. It's a unique one. Yeah, for sure. And I was actually, as you were describing it, um, Thinking about football and how that's such a team sport, I've never mm -hmm. played a sport that was like your points go towards the team 
but it's really mm-hmm. based on you and your performance. So what kind of mindset yeah. and mentality did you go into each like competition or um, week with? Yeah, I think every competition varies, but it's it's so much more nerve-wracking in my opinion. I never played any team sport at a high level, um, never anything in college like you did, um, but just the nerves, like diving so unique where you do you only do six different dives, and I can go into the categories later, um, but it might take a little too much time to explain to everybody. But each dive takes three to five seconds in total. So after six dives, if, if each dive takes five seconds total, um, that's only about 30, per sec- 30 seconds of performance. So your margin of error is very little. Whereas maybe in a long football game or a long basketball game or another team sport, you got 30 minutes, hours, you know, where you can come back and make a run where if I mess up one dive out of my six, it's kind of hard to come back because I don't have a whole lot. You know what I mean? So I think that puts so much pressure and so many nerves on individuals um, just because you literally have a split second. If you open up out of your dive a partial second or even a tenth of a second late or too early and you don't go in in a really small funnel straight up and down, mm-hmm. it can cost you huge points. You can come out, you can open up out of a dive, let's say a tenth of a second <clears throat> difference and it can turn in, it can turn from an eight out of 10 to let's say a four out of 10. So wow. your score can get affected really big, really fast and super easy, which in my opinion, it makes it the hardest sport, one of the hardest sports in the world. Um, it's definitely a beauty uh, and a curse. Yeah, for sure. So when did you personally start diving? I started my sophomore year in high school. Um, actually, sophomore. I'll take that back as a sophomore. I Actually, wow. I'll take that back. I dove a little bit my freshman year. Um, it was just about a month and a half season. Um, and I didn't love it. Um, so after that, I quit, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to dedicate everything to baseball. Um, and that kind of fell through pretty quick. And I got a phone call from, from a former Olympic gold medalist who had just moved to Bloomington, uh, my hometown. And he was like, hey, I heard you dove for one year. Um, my name is Mark Lindsay. I'm a former Olympic gold medalist. I just moved to Bloomington, and I'm going to take over the club team here. I think you should just stop by and check it out. And I was like, I, he left me a voicemail. My parents were like, you have to pursue this. You have to at least go to a practice and try it out. So once I did first practice, he brought his gold medal. He put it over my neck and I was hooked from there. Yeah. <laughs> and that was my sophomore year. So okay. it was maybe in like September, about this time, my sophomore year. And I immediately dropped every other sport. Um, and I just... I went all in for, for diving. Yeah, so focused on diving. Yeah. Um, so when did you actually become good at diving? So you started as a sophomore, and as we read mm-hmm. your bio, you were a four-time All-American. So when was that point for you that I was like, man, I'm actually pretty good at this sport? <clears throat> you know, I was very fortunate, very blessed with an awesome facility. I got to train. My club team trained at Indiana University's pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I was blessed with great coaches. Um come from an awesome family, you know, so they all helped shape me and guided me um, in the right direction. Um, Fortunately, I've always been super competitive. So anything that I try or put my mind to, I want to win. I want to try to be the best I can. So I think a combination of all of those kind of 
helped me start on a pretty fast track and start um, seeing pretty good results. Um, give me your definition of good. When did you know that you had an opportunity to go to the next level and dive? Okay, so there's many levels to this. Um, so let's go, um, let's say high school to college. When did you notice you could go to Indiana and become a diver? Okay, so I'll backtrack just a little bit. My freshman year, it was such a short season, I just started diving. So I made the sectional team, but basically because I was the only diver on the team, there were maybe one or two other guys. Okay. Um, and then after sectionals, I got knocked out and didn't make it to regionals or state. My sophomore year, I actually made it all the way to state. Um, and I think I placed 18th. Mm -hmm. Turnaround of the next year, my junior year, I was able to set a couple school records. I won conference sectionals, regionals, got third at state. And then my senior year, I was able to re-break those records. And, and then I was able to get a state title my senior year. Mm -hmm. um, I think junior year. Junior year is when I started diving the other events, not just one meter, because in high school, you typically just dive one meter springboard. Okay. Um, and most colleges look for if you have any platform experience or any at least three meter springboard experience. So after my junior year, I was like, this is something I really want to do. Three meter and platform are definitely scary. Mm -hmm. I got to learn all new dives. The higher you are up, the, the worse it hurts when you smack. So that was a big learning curve for me. Um, but I think that transition going into my senior year, maybe in that summer mm -hmm. between junior and senior year is when I started to think, you know, I really want to dive in college. Um, didn't have a whole lot of money. Uh, my family didn't. So I was praying for a scholarship. So I just put all my time in and, um, and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to be a college diver now. Yeah. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your high school experience. So you told me that you came third in state, that you were first mm -hmm. in state. Now, if a state football team wins the high school state championship, they are like the people on campus. And so I'm interested, yeah. I'm interested in, as a diver with you placing in state, did you, were you, did you feel like you were a state champion or was people like, oh, you're just a diver? Who cares? Yeah, kind of the latter of that one. Okay. <laughs> um, in high school, at least in my high school, swimming and diving wasn't that cool. Um, like you said, if, if you win state in uh, football or basketball, one of those bigger sports, it's a, it's a huge deal. Most of the communities involved, the surrounding churches, anybody that lives in the area, you know, my junior year of high school, our basketball team won state. Um, and I think five out of our six best players went on to start D1. Mm. So we had a, a very solid high school team, and that was a ton of fun. Um, and at the same time, and, you know, it's, it's a winter sport. So at the same time, maybe I'm getting some headlines in the papers, but basketball just right. definitely <laughs> was a lot bigger. Yeah, definitely dominated um, any of my so-called fame or, or glory that I might have gotten. Mm. So what were your academics like? We've heard a lot about your athletics and how much success you've had um, in the pool. But what mm -hmm. was it like for you outside socially and academically? You know, I ever since I was a little kid, I cared a ton about sports. Um, I never fell in love with school. Um, I kind of had the mindset of I'm going to do I'm going to do what I have to do so I can do what I want to do. 
And what I wanted to do was, was play sports in, in high school and then um, hopefully do them in college as well. So um, I want to say I graduated high school with a 3.1 GPA. Um, not the best, but um, I think that's a little more than just skating by. Um, I did what I could. I was fortunate enough to do well enough on my first SAT where I didn't have to retake it and I got accepted into college uh, with that test score. So I wouldn't say that it was high on my priority list, but I didn't slack off too much. So you still took care of your business. I think that's important for a lot of our student athletes to realize is that you don't have to be a scholar or someone mm-hmm. who has a 4.0 to be successful. Definitely. I think a lot of, I think it's more prevalent now that student athletes are like, I need to do this. or I'm just doing school because I want to get to the next level. And that's okay. That's a great, yeah. that's an okay mentality to have, but you took care of your business Definitely. To, make, to ensure that that was mm-hmm. possible. So I want everyone to understand that you don't have to be Definitely. a 4.0, 4.5. You can do what you need to do and still get, because Indiana is a great school. Mm-hmm. It's a great university. So yep. yeah, yeah. Amen to that. I think I always say this. I say this to my divers now. Um, my mom used to say this to me a lot when I was growing up. Do what you have to do, so you can do what you want to do. And for me, the want was athletics. I didn't want to study. I didn't want to take tests in school. I didn't even want to try to get A pluses. You know, I wanted to dive at the next level. And what I had to do was graduate get a good enough GPA, do well enough on the SATs so I could do what I want to do, and that was yeah. pursue diving in college. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I think a lot of people need to hear that. So mm-hmm. you brought up your dad and your mom a little bit throughout this whole, throughout the podcast we've had so far. Can you talk to me a little bit about how much family means to you? Yeah, family's huge. I'm super blessed and fortunate just to come from a great family, great Christian family. Um, they taught me that day one. Um, and that was always number one priority. Um, my family did a great job of putting God first. Um, and that kind of helped shape any decisions, um, that we ever made. Um, is this the right thing to do? Is this the Christ-like thing to do? So that was awesome. I have three other brothers. We're all super close. Um, I have one that's two years younger than me, one that's nine years younger than me, who's now a freshman in college, and then a 16-year-old brother. Um, who's a junior in high school now. Um, so there's about a 10-year gap. There's two sets of brothers, and then about a 10-year gap, and then the next two. Um, but yeah, super close. Love to hear from them on the phone. Anytime we get to get together on the holidays or something, it's really special. Oh, that's amazing. And do you think that that family connection has helped you at all with school and in your sport? A hundred percent. Yeah, they... I definitely think without them, I probably would have fallen off a little bit. I might not have done um, as much schoolwork as I needed to do to, to get by. I definitely wouldn't have had that drive and passion um, that my parents instilled in me and taught me to pursue anything in life, that competitive edge, but definitely uh, what drove me in this early stage of my life was athletics. So they definitely instilled that into me. And were there, um, did you have a group of friends as well as you were coming, coming up that you would count as your family as well that kind of, um, that you can have fun with and also kept you aligned and helped you thinking towards that vision and goal that you have for yourself? You know, I had a very small group of friends in high school, um, but I didn't really develop that really tight-knit, um, close family feel mm-hmm. 
uh, friendship with any friends really until college. Um, as your priorities change and you kind of mature, I kind of distanced myself, not necessarily on purpose, but um, didn't stay super tight with any, um, really anybody from high school. Um, and then I started to get the, the people that I really had stuff in common with, that we had similar goals in diving um, or just similar stages in life. I started to find that and develop those friendships in college. Yeah, that's good. So we're going to come back to that a little bit later. Uh, okay. So now we're going to make a shift to the recruiting process. So mm -hmm. let's just stick primarily to your recruiting process. What did that look like for you? All right. So I told you guys about how I had a pretty successful high school career. Now, in the diving world, um, doing stuff on the state level or in high school diving doesn't mean a ton to most colleges. What a lot of colleges want to see is number one potential in videos or they want to see success at maybe the U.S. national level, the junior nationals. Um, so going into my senior year of high school, I had never made a nationals um, or anything. So no colleges really knew who I was. Okay. Uh, my coach at the time knew a couple college coaches or club coaches that were friends with that respective college. And he tried to put in a word for me. Um, but I got recruited by two schools. One was Indiana because it was my hometown. So they were able to see me. And the other one was army. And I think army recruits everybody in the nation. So, <laughs> so if you do any athletics and you graduate from high school, I, I, ser I seriously think they recruit everybody at least in swimming and diving. Um, so I wouldn't count that a lot. I got zero phone calls on July 1st. Um, I heard from nobody except for Indiana. Is that um, when you it's, Is it, So you said July 1st. So what, what's significant about July 1st? Back then, July 1st, right before your senior year started, mm -hmm. is when colleges used to be allowed to call you for the first time. Oh, wow. So they had to what wait till that year? day. Yep. Yep, very late. The rules have changed since then, but back then that was the rule. Um, and I got zero calls even after July 1st. I mean, you can call, you could at the time call from July 1st, any time basically until uh, a recruit signed with somebody. Um, so I got nobody. And it was kind of a blessing in disguise. Indiana shaped me and is the reason why I'm here today. Um, but it was... It was twofold. I wanted to watch my little brothers grow up. Now, at the time when I was in high school, they must have been, if I was 18 years old, they would have been like eight and 10 years old or seven and nine years old, my, my youngest brothers. And I was super, super close with them. So it was great that I didn't really get any other offers because if I would have, I wouldn't have watched them grow up and wouldn't have got to go to church with my family and, and go to their, their ball games and any of that. So Definitely a huge blessing in disguise. I definitely feel that point about staying close to home because that's the reason why I chose SMU. I had a young yep. brother. He was 13 at the time. And as you know, he's mm -hmm. like 20 now. Um, mm -hmm. That's the reason why I wanted to stay close so I could make sure I was with family and had that support system around me too. Uh, yeah. yeah, I definitely I definitely get that. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about your transition to Indiana. So you go to Indiana. You're basically saying that this is your only – opportunity that you had how was your transition after you um came on the campus transition 
as in, um, how did you adjust to being a college student athlete? Yeah, that was a big adjustment for me. Um, like we touched on earlier, I was a huge, a huge family guy. And I was very fortunate to always have parents at home. Um, my dad was able to own his own business. So anytime we had a meet or a game or anything, he was able to, to be there. Uh, my mom was a stay-at-home mom who is an amazing cook and all of that. So she always had food ready for me. Yeah. So that was a huge adjustment for me being on my own, having to go to the dining hall, pick out my own food, mm -hmm. buy my own stuff, get myself to class, get out of bed on a good time, make it to practice. Um, and I think every student and every student athlete goes through that. It's just a step you have to take and you're not as good at it your first week of school as you are your maybe your next month or two months or sophomore or junior year. It's just a big learning curve and every every month, every semester you get better at it where you find the right study group or study habits or where you need to stop and get food. All that type of stuff is just kind of a learning curve that you have to do on your own. And how long did it take you to finally get into a groove and understand that? Well, I had a big shift my sophomore year of just overall life-changing shift and big upswing in diving and academics. So I would say my first month of college, my freshman year, was, was a little bit rough where I was maybe staying up too late, um, maybe sleeping in too late and trying to, to go to class or practice at the last possible second so I wasn't performing the best I could in practice. Um, I would say when I really, that gear really shifted was second semester, uh, my sophomore year. And why would you say that changed? Did anything happen or did you just grow up at that, at that moment and say, hey, I need to get better? Yeah, so actually a huge thing happened. Um, my, my first college coach, I had two coaches. Uh, my first college coach retired after my junior year. So my senior year, all the way until 2016, when I stopped after Olympic trials, I had a second coach. Um, but the first one, let's see, I had, a, I had an okay freshman year for coming in. Um, I think at Big Ten, that's our, our conference championship. Um, I think on one meter, I was, I got ninth place. On three meter, I got fifth place. And on tower platform, I got eighth place. So decent for a freshman year to compete on all, all three events. And then I was able to qualify to NCAAs, but I got like low 20s. Like didn't score any points for the team. Um, yeah, that's a, a college NCAA national. You got, so you got in the 20s. Yeah, I got in the 20s. Um, but I, I could have done a little bit better. And then my sophomore year, um, everybody knows I love to eat. Um, you know me, Jeremiah. <laughs> love to put food down. It's hard to be disciplined when you're on your own and you're in the dining hall. There's hard. so much yep. food available. <laughs> so I would say freshman year was definitely bad, uh, but sophomore year continued to do it. Um, maybe not working out as much as I could have and eating not the healthiest food. So I started to put on a little weight and it was actually holding me back. Um, and my, the beginning of the uh, sophomore year wasn't the greatest diving performance. At this time I was one of the better people on the team first or second. I kind of went back and forth with a couple people, every other meet um, definitely won some dual meets and stuff. But 
not as good as I should have been or could have been. Um, and we went to U.S. Nationals in December. And there were 70, 69 or 70 athletes at this meet. So huge nationals, all the best divers in the country are there. Um, and this isn't just college. This is everybody, okay. everybody, some 15-year-olds who are studs, some 13-year-olds, maybe some 29-year-olds, all the best in the country go to U.S. Nationals. Um, and out of 70 people, I want to say I was in the 40s. Really bad for me at the time. And a lot of it was my weight, but because of my weight, it was because of the decisions I was making. Mm-hmm. Wasn't going to bed super early. Maybe I was going out and doing things I shouldn't have been doing during the week and probably not on the weekends. Um, definitely my food choices. Um, could have been doing a little bit more cardio. And I wouldn't just say it was food and cardio and my weight, but just overall, it was a mindset and how serious I wanted to be at the sport. Mm-hmm. And here's what my coach said. Now he's a three-time Olympic coach, um, one of the one of the best coaches of all time, if not the greatest college coach of all time, in my opinion. Oh, that's a lot. Um, he, he's amazing, and he was tough as nails. And um, and he gave me a huge opportunity. One, let me have a spot on the team, but giving me some scholarship to Indiana was a big deal, especially when I was a nobody. And he basically, after that meet, he took me down to the other end of the pool, and he just reamed me out just laid into me i want to say 30 minutes i'm still on my speedo like i had just finished my last dive he basically picked me up by my neck took me to the other end of the pool and and just let me have it and he basically told me what i just told you how i'm not taking it serious i could be doing so much more so much better i could be carrying myself a different way i could be eating better i could be coming in 30 minutes early and stretching more and getting prepared for every single practice, doing way more uh, mental training so I knew how to compete better. Um, And he told me right after nationals, this is like December 21st was my last event. He goes, you have seven days off. We're back in seven days. If you are not noticeably skinnier in seven days when you come back, it shows me that you don't care. You didn't take this conversation serious and you're off the team. And I was like, wow, he's serious. And whether he was serious or not, now he's super tough. He would have followed through with it. Um, but he was trying to send a message and he worked best or he worked great for some people and not great for others. Um, and fortunately, I was one to respond really well to certain criticism and a certain rebuke similar to what he just gave me. So I really took it to heart. Um, and in seven days I ate super clean, almost raw everything. I want to say I basically just had fruits and vegetables and salad. Um, and I was on the elliptical or on the treadmill that my mom had in the basement every day. And I think I lost eight pounds in those seven days. And now this is over Christmas break. This is when my family, oh my gosh, (laughs) this is when my family feasts. My mom's an incredible cook. It was so hard. I think on Christmas Day, I splurged and I ate her amazing cooking. But then I was back in the basement trying to get a good sweat in. Um, and I came back more fit. And he noticed. And first practice, you know, divers are in their Speedos. So there's very little clothing on. So you're able to see pretty easy. And we were close enough where he could he could comment on that. Um, and it wasn't a weird thing. It wasn't right. a bad thing. He was able to comment on it. And he was like, Darian, this is going to be 
the best semester of your life because you took what I had to say. Um, and in seven days, you're able to show me how much weight have you lost? And I was like, coach, I think I'm down eight pounds already. At the time, I want to say I was 199 going into that December nationals. So I come down about 190. And in the end of my sophomore year, actually, we come back basically January 1st is when our first practice is. Our conference championship is February 18th or something right then. By February 18th, I was down to 184 pounds, pretty lean, um, about 6.5% body fat. And just because of that, not just because I had trimmed about 10 pounds or 12 pounds, but just all the choices I was making um, led to a lot more success. So my sophomore year, literally less than two months after that nationals, I had um, gotten third place on one meter at our conference championships. I won the three meter and I set, I think I set two school records at that meet. I was able to uh, qualify to NCAAs again. And I scored on all three events, one meter, three meter, and platform. And that's when I got my first uh, All-American wow. accolade. So wow. just, just a huge turnaround and just an awesome message from a powerful coach um, who was able to connect with me and develop that relationship early on to where he could send a powerful message like that. And it, get, um, it was taken the right way. Yeah. So I don't – this is very powerful. I don't want people to miss what just happened. So mm-hmm. you are invited to an event with all the best um, divers in the country. Yep. So you're already one of the, you're already up there. I'm going to say it. You're already one of the best divers in the country. One of the seventy. I'm not. I don't know if it's the seventieth best, but you're in that. You got the invitation. Yeah. Now diving is a smaller sport. If you put it on the scale of basketball or football, just the amount of kids that play those sports. I mean, it's like hundreds of thousands to one comparatively. So don't give me too much credit here. Um, It's not the biggest deal to qualify to U.S. nationals. Um, It's definitely not a walk in the park. You have to have a certain list of dives. You have to meet the degree of difficulty. And you do have to perform somewhat. Um, But qualifying to NCAAs in college is way, way tougher than qualifying to U.S. nationals. Um, getting there now to win it or to be top eight or top five is then now you're going against everybody whether they're in their 20s and retire or graduated from college or whether they're still in high school you're going against everybody in the country thanks so thank you for that context 100 yep. i told y'all before we started he was humble but all i'm saying <laughs> is that you took the the coaching mm-hmm. and you executed on that coaching and i think a lot of times when we have a level of success mm-hmm. or when student athletes have a level of success, they get comfortable and they think yeah. that coaches can't tell them anything. I've seen to where backups can't get told anything on their team. They don't, they're not even starters or significant, have significant roles on their own teams that can't take coaching. And so you were yeah. able to take what your coach said and you actually executed and you saw the results. Yeah. And so I think that's major. And that's, that's a, powerful story you just told us Darren so thank you for that yeah my pleasure something we've talked about before Mm -hmm. and you kind of hit on it earlier was that you were actually on a partial scholarship yep and so as a freshman you did pretty well as a sophomore I believe you just said you made your first all-american bid yes after my sophomore year yep your sophomore year 
And so after that, you never asked to be put on a higher scholarship percentage or ask for a full ride. Number one, why was that? There are two reasons. One, I think I was so young and naive where I didn't even know that was an option. Um, but I remember when my coach did a home visit to me, he offered me my percentage of scholarship and he said, basically, do you agree with this? And if so, this is what we'd like to do for four years. This is what we can do for you and your family. And what I'd like to do is have some other scholarship so we can get other athletes and teammates and try to have the best team that we can um, at the U.S. national level and at the NCAA level. So it was twofold where I didn't really know that that was an appropriate conversation to have or how to ask. But one, I gave my coach my word and I decided, you know what, I'm going to have debt later on and that's fine. I'll figure out a way to pay it off. Um, but I also wanted to help my team and my coach find some better athletes. One, they were going to be better teammates for me. The better kids we brought in were going to help push me and make me a better diver. And it, it's fun to be on an awesome team, you know. So I wanted to be respectful to that and just try to help the just the bigger picture of Indiana swimming and diving. Um, and that was it was such a special place for me. And they did so much for me that I wanted to to help them the best I could. Man, that unselfishness is a completely different level because through your unselfishness, you not only helped Indiana, but you benefited from mm -hmm. that as well. You were still able to push and get to levels that, I don't know, as a sophomore, that you probably never thought that you would reach. And so, yeah. And so that's great. Were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say to me, I, I touched back on this before I was fortunate that I was born with such a competitive edge to where if I was on 0% scholarship or 100%, I wanted to be the best I could and I wanted to win. And my goal was to be an Olympian and win nationals and win NCAAs. So the percentage didn't have any effect on how hard I was going to train or my performance overall. I wanted that regardless of what my, my debt or my uh, bills were going to be after college. You know what I mean? So I think for everybody listening here, it's really important to be in touch with yourself, know what your goals are, constantly be setting new goals if you can. Once you reach one, set a new one, strive, strive for greatness and, and try, to, try to get as high as you can. Um, I wouldn't put any ceiling on yourself. Um, and, and that's what pushed me, always setting the next goal, whether it was just a small monthly goal, weekly goal, um, or yearly goal, try to achieve those. But I always had my end goal in mind. That never changed, and that was to try to make the Olympic team. Mm -hmm. And for my entire career, that was it was higher than what I had ever achieved. So mm -hmm. that always kept me kept me going. And and the scholarship had nothing to do with that. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how you actually survived on the scholarship. Um, so what? How did you actually get through Indiana with a partial? And how did you get the rest of your school paid for? And how did you actually live, eat, and do different things like that? Actually live and have – we won't have fun sometimes too. So walk me through that. Yeah, well, thank goodness for student loans. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Thank goodness for student loans. You know, it's kind of simple. There's so many, so many high school students and student athletes that 
that think student loans are are a huge deal. And I never saw it that way. I don't know if it's because a certain message was relayed to me that way, but to me it was just like, all right, you're going to graduate with X amount of thousands of dollars and you're going to be set up based on what you make. You'll have a couple of years of grace period where you don't have to pay any student loans. Um, but based on what you make, whatever your first couple of jobs are, then they will ask you to pay, um, a small monthly payment um, and just however long that monthly payment takes until all your student loans are paid off. So everybody or so many people have car payments, they have rent, they have a mortgage payment, they have insurance every month, they have car insurance. So I just looked at it as like, okay, well, that's going to be another bill that a lot of people have anyway. And whatever that couple hundred dollars is or a thousand dollars, whatever that number was, it changes every year with a new job. I would just, I would just pay it off. So I never looked at it as like a lump sum because if you look at it as twenty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, you have to pay. That's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it as two hundred dollars a month, right. it, it's not as big of a deal, and it just takes a little time to pay off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, how did you do any extra? Did you do any extracurricular activities? I know we talked before that you actually worked a little bit too to help you kind of. Um, get a little buffer, some funds on the side or, or something like that? Yeah, so um, fortunately and unfortunately, my parents pretty much had zero dollars to give me. Um, I would say in my four years, they might have given me a couple hundred dollars combined. Um, and that would be something like my dad would take everybody out to lunch and there are six people in my family. He might pay with a hundred dollar bill and then he would give me whatever the change was. So, and that was like once every few months that he might've done that. So I, I really had no money to go out and play with. I couldn't really eat pizza. If my team went to a team dinner, I had to sit back. And so my first couple of years, that was actually tough. Um, and back then, I want to say after my sophomore year, they changed the NCAA rule where freshmen could get paid if you worked at camp or something through the university. Mm -hmm. But my freshman year, the rule was you could work camp, but you could not get paid. So all of us, Indiana had a very big diving camp that we held every summer that was five weeks. And we would have about a hundred kids, a hundred kids a week um, on average, 70 to a hundred. So we got plenty of work where we, we were able to coach and we got paid hourly. Unfortunately, my freshman year, I wasn't able to get paid. But after that, starting my sophomore year, um, every summer I, I worked as many hours as possible just because I, I had zero to, to very few dollars. Um, and I wanted to have some money, like you said, to, to buy a pizza on the weekend if I wanted to or, or just, just have a little money and try to pay some student loans back if I could. Um, so after my sophomore year, I was able to start working in the camp, but I was so focused on diving that I, I chose to not have any other job other than camp. I wanted to just do my schoolwork and just think about diving. And like I said, I was going to worry about student loans and work when I was done with all that. Yeah, you were so focused. And so you had that goal that you talked about earlier and that everything else mm -hmm. was secondary. So that's, yeah, that's, yep. that's, that's good. That's really good. Um, so yep. just kind of rounding out your athletic career, you told me before we came on that the number one accomplishment that you feel that you're very, very thankful that you had was your time on the world championship team. 
Um, tell me a little bit about the experience mm -hmm. and what it was like, because a lot of people don't get that opportunity to be a part of a world championship team. What was that experience like for you? So I'll just explain it, how it works kind of first, and then I'll tell you about the experience. Okay. Um, basically, when you go to a U.S. Nationals, most U.S. Nationals, they take the top few divers from those Nationals and they basically say, hey, you're going to go represent us at these um, international meets. So we're going to take the best from our country and then go to any international meet and compete against the better divers from all the other countries. Mm -hmm. So in 2013, I made my first international team. It was a, it's called a Grand Prix, which is kind of like a, I wouldn't say just like a normal game for football, but it was kind of like a world game where it, it, it wasn't a championship. It wasn't a, a massive deal. It didn't qualify any spots to the Olympics for any country, but it was a, a way to send some of your top tier divers mm -hmm. from different parts of the world and kind of compete against each other. And that was to basically just get experience being out of your country, traveling the world and rubbing elbows with all different countries. And just that whole experience in hopes that if you make the Olympic team in whatever quad you're in, you have experience rubbing elbows with mm -hmm different countries and those types of divers and hopefully you won't be as nervous so you can try to perform the best you can if you're up, um, at the Olympic Games. So after 2013, I was fortunate enough to make an international team every single year until I retired in 2016. So for four years, I was on the national team and I was able to travel the world and see some of the most beautiful sites and countries and that was incredible. I'll never be um, enough thankful for that because that was some of the best times of my life. But in 2015, to make Worlds, um, there's two big meets. The, the highest meet of every year that everybody in the world competes at is World Championships or in every other off year, it's called the World Cup, but it's basically the same meet. And then every four years is the Olympic Games. So that is like the number one meet everybody wants to go to and qualify for. That's the, the biggest stage you can go to is the Olympics. But right under that, in let's say for 2016, was the Olympic Games. In 2015, 2014, 13, um, yeah, in 13, there were World Cup or World Championships once every year. Um, and that was basically this the same divers um if they were able to qualify um so basically the best in the world able to compete against each other but not with the same magnitude and, and quite the same stage as the olympic games mm -hmm. so i was fortunate enough to make that team in 2015 and the way you make that team in diving was basically you got to get first place or second place at the u.s nationals or whatever qualifying event it is um, and I was able to get second um, at that meet. So I was able to go, and this was on uh, men's three meter, just individual. So the higher springboard, the one that you can bounce on, that was my best event. Um, and I qualified that year in 2015. The overall experience, I didn't perform as well as I'd like to, but I was just so grateful and so happy because this was a, a dream that I had been chasing for so long. And something that I had wanted to accomplish and that I was on the 
the cusp of for a few years now, um, but I never quite broke that that next barrier and qualified to an actual world team. So the overall experience, I would say, was just incredible. So thankful. Um, it was amazing being in Russia. It was a total different, mm-hmm. totally different um, atmosphere and everything. We had a training camp for about nine days in Germany. So we flew from the U.S. to Germany. We stopped there. It was kind of a bridge where we could get over some of the jet lag um, because I think U.S. to Russia was like 10 10 or so hours difference. So the jet lag was huge, huge. So Germany was maybe like seven hours difference. Um, So we trained there for nine days just to – to stop and you're when you make a world team or Olympic Games you're gone for about a month so we went to Germany for nine days then we go to Russia and the world championships is just so long so many events so many different divers so many yeah events with different genders that it just they spread it out so long just so TV can be there um, and everybody has enough time to to rest in between events and that type of thing so we were in Russia for about two and a half weeks so in all in all, it was it was just short of a month um, being out of the U.S. So that was a long time being away from yeah. family, um, being away from my girlfriend at the time, um, but just an incredible experience that I'll never forget and one of the the biggest highlights of my career. I can only imagine what that was like going to Germany and to Russia. Like, uh-huh. I've never gone international before. Okay. So really. Yeah, I have not gone. I've hit a lot of states in the United in America, but I yeah. have not actually gone uh, internationally. So I can only imagine. What it's kind of- it's so wild. What sucked about Russia was just the food was horrible. <laughs> what made horrible. It horrible. Oh man, it just there's so many different countries that it's just not the same as as America. Typically in America, our food is way worse for you and way more fattening. And usually that means it tastes, it tastes better. A little bit better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when the other countries aren't doing that, the food doesn't quite taste good. And things are just different there. Like I remember when I was in Malaysia, they were serving fish for breakfast. For breakfast? What? In the world? Yeah. I mean, just completely different cultures. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Some of the countries, Russia was probably the worst with the worst food. But that was tough because you're there for two and a half weeks it's hard to find food that you like and if you don't like anything or if it makes you sick, it's hard to fuel your body well enough to be able to perform. And we're there to, to compete on the world stage. So that was, that was a challenge that, that you just, you have to experience to, to know, to know how to deal with it. You know? Right. I've always wondered when you go to Olympics or world championships, is, is this like your job or are they like, just basically just paying for it. I know you're doing a job. You're trying to perform your best, but do you get, like, compensation? Like, how does that – is it just sponsorships? How does that work? Yeah, every sport's different. I would say diving is one of the smallest sports, the least broadcasted, so there's not a whole lot of money in diving. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you're in swimming, swimming's way different. If everybody knows Michael Phelps and, and USA swimming on the Olympic stage, that's a massive sport with a way bigger budget and all type of stuff so they can fund their athletes a little differently and with the bigger sports they tend to get sponsors just because they're they're more recognized and they're more broadcasted so not a whole lot of money in diving um i did get a very small stipend for 
from the USOC starting in 2013 when I uh, got on the national team for the first time. Um, I got a very small stipend uh, monthly from the USOC. So it was definitely not enough to pay for food and rent. Um, but with the combination of working the camps in the summer, I was able to get by. Um, but typically, when you go to any international meet, the governing body pays for your travel, just like when you were playing football for your college. If you traveled, they covered your food, they covered your hotel, yeah. and they put you on the bus to get there or in there, or they played, paid for the, the flight. Um, so they definitely covered all of our travel, but it's not like I was able to, to make a good living while I was on the road <laughs> trying to train and dive. <laughs> Man. And so you said you had that experience in 2015, and then you mm -hmm. said that you ultimately retired in 2016. What led to your decision yeah. to actually retire? Um, work, I would say. That led to it. Right when I came home from 2015, I proposed to my then girlfriend, my now wife, um, but it was like a week or two weeks after, um, a week or two weeks after I returned from Russia, uh, from worlds, I had been sitting on a ring for a little bit and I decided to, to ask the question. And once we got engaged, it was like a switch kind of went off where we were thinking about life. You know, we were thinking about a future family. We were thinking about getting married. We were thinking about getting a house. We were starting to think about jobs. Um, and you definitely need a job to make money to pay for those types of decisions. So um, my plan was to continue to train for another quad and try to make the Olympics in 2020. And this is all in 2015. Oh, I was looking. I was like, it's 2020 now. <laughs> yep. So this is in 2015. My plan was to do – I didn't feel like I, I – I still felt like I was getting better in diving. And I knew that even if I made the Olympic team in 2016, I could still be better. Um, so I just, I had it in my mind. I love diving so much. I want to keep competing. I want to, I want to try to medal on the world stage. So I, I thought I was going to keep diving for four more years, even after the Olympic trials. Shortly after Olympic trials, they didn't go the way I wanted to. I didn't make the Olympic team. Um, a job opened up at East Carolina. Um, and Allie was like, my wife was like, why don't you just apply to it? I know you want to keep training, but just apply to it and see what happens. And if you get the job, maybe it's God telling us that it's time to start our life in that regard, or maybe we'll talk about it and just figure out what's best. Um, and so fortunate that I got that job and Allie was basically like, Hey, I think, I think that's a sign. I think we should listen to what God's telling us. And I think it's best if we start working off of two incomes and not just one. Um, and that was a really, really, really hard decision for me. But it was the best decision I made. Um, and I took that job and we packed up within a week from accepting it. We packed everything up in Indiana. And Allie and I moved across the country. And... We went to North Carolina and I took that job and I say it's the best decision I made. One, I'm, I loved my time in East Carolina. The staff was amazing. I had a great team for the short 10 months that I was there, but ultimately it led to me getting this job at SMU. Yeah. Um, and a short 
10 or 11 months after East Carolina, this job opened up and, and I was able to pack up and move again. And that's where I, I met this great guy, Jeremiah here that we're talking oh, to. Oh my goodness. So Darren, you just retired. Well, actually in the process of you retiring, um, you applied for a head position at East Carolina. Why did, out of everything you mm -hmm. could have done, why did you choose to coach? So back to what we touched on back when we were talking about high school and sports and academics, I fell in love with sports as soon as I knew how to walk. Um, and I always wanted to do something with sports. And my hope as a kid is like every kid is they're going to be a professional athlete and they're going to get paid to play um, and never have to work or have a real job. Um, so I had this fantasy as a kid of, doing something with sports and not having to do a hard job where I sit at a desk or I'm out in the hot sun hammering in nails or something like my dad always did. Um, so I always had that thought and I touched on my, my younger brothers earlier, but at the time when I'm in high school or college, they're still 10, 11 years old. So they're kids. And even when they were younger, I, I was able to, to work with them and help them, not just in sports, but I can remember just trying to teach them how to tie their shoes and just the way you got to explain to a little kid and break things down and try to get their minds to, to understand it. It really taught me a way with kids. Um, and it taught me a way to teach. And I just, I love family and I love working with kids. And when I was Probably in high school, early high school, I used to work um, in the nursery at church, or I would work in like our our junior program, which was just like age four to like ten year olds. And I just loved being with kids. Um, and so I thought that when I was in in high school, I thought what I was called to do was teach, so I could be with kids. I loved my little brothers. I loved working with them. I loved working with their friends. So I thought I was called to teach and I didn't know what age that was. Um, I thought I didn't want to do middle school, but maybe high school or maybe younger kids. Um, and then it was kind of like a switch went off where as I was able to start coaching the camps when I was in college, um, I started to kind of develop a knack for coaching. One, I loved it because it was with my favorite sport that I was able to do. So I was pretty knowledgeable about it because um, it was something that I trained and worked on every single day. Um, and I got to fill the void of teaching something because coaching is all it is, is teaching. And then I got to be with kids of all ages. So it was, it was literally like an overnight switch went off. I was like, what are you doing thinking about teaching or being a police officer or something else? Why don't you coach? And at the same time, I was, I was becoming a better coach. Now this is just camp. Um, so it was nothing serious. I wasn't running my own program or anything, but my coach was kind of telling me like, Hey, you're very good at this. You're able to teach kids new dives. You're able to help break these barriers of fear and everything else they have. And you're actually teaching it very well. Um, you, you should look into it. And, and I was just like, wow, yes, what, this is what I want to pursue. And at that time I didn't know what that was. I didn't know if it was college I didn't know if it was just be a high school teacher and coach high school diving. I didn't know if it was starting a club team and working with kids of all ages. Um, but I knew from that day I was called to coach and that's what I was going to pursue. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good story, especially the fact that you you followed your passion. Mm-hmm. You're doing something that you enjoy doing. There's so many people in life, and there's so many maybe high school or junior high student athletes who are thinking right now that they want to do something um, just to make a check or just to yeah. you know, put money in the bank or to make sure that they get a nice car. But really, are you following your passion? It's really you living the life that you were called to live as you referenced a second ago. Yeah. Yeah, the statement that everybody's heard is, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that is so, so true. If you thoroughly enjoy what you're doing, it makes work a lot easier. There are certainly days where you'd rather sit on the couch, you'd rather go golfing or be on vacation. Um, but I'm so fortunate to have a, a job and a passion that that are the same thing. Um, and and it is sports, the thing that I love to do. Um, and it's it's just truly a blessing to be able to to earn a living on something that you love to do. Okay. So there's something you mentioned earlier I kind of want to come back to. I think this is the right time. You talked about how in diving, you have to overcome um, – I, wa- I don't want to mess, mess up your words, but you said fear because if you mess up by a tenth of a second, the whole, that whole dive is pretty much thrown out the window. How yep. do you help and teach your divers to overcome that fear? Because I think that's a bigger message for life however you choose to answer this question well fortunately for me i was a fearful diver everybody's heard of the infamous belly flop at your local rec center pool or your public pool outside you see somebody smack or or belly flop and that stings that water on a flat surface on your skin it really stings and it just doesn't feel good so that's where the fear develops but as you start working up especially on on platform the highest platform is 34 feet high Mm -hmm. and you're falling 35 miles an hour Mm. so if you open up wrong and you don't go in how you're supposed to straight in that water it feels like concrete at that fast and and it's definitely softer than maybe what a gymnast would experience on the floor the water definitely gives more but it it definitely hurts a lot and, and it can it can injure you pretty bad so that's where that fear started um it starts with everybody and luckily me going through it as an athlete myself i worked with sports psychologists i had great coaches that helped get me over humps so i i was able to pick and pull from everybody that i worked with whether it was teammates or or campers that i was trying to help or what my coach was telling me or my teammates or sports psychologists telling me or any books that I've read or videos that I would watch of how to overcome fear. I kind of pieced that all together because I knew I wanted to be a coach so I could try to help my athletes. Um, and everybody's different. Um, maybe what I have to say or, or the way I would go about it, it might not work for, for all of my athletes. Um, or for for other kids that maybe I don't coach, um, but I try to do my best to try to help them with that. And I we touched on goals um, a, a few minutes ago, but that is one thing that that really pushed me, and I think can push everybody um, into getting past certain humps anywhere in your life. If you have a certain goal and it's truly that important to you to try to reach that then it's easier to overcome certain obstacles. If your goals aren't 
as high or you're comfortable where you're at or you're comfortable settling, then maybe it's, it doesn't push you to try to get, to get over that hump or to get over the scary part in your life or whatever stage that you're in, not just, just athletics, but that's what always drove me. And I try to instill those goals into my athletes now in hopes to, to overcome that. And whether it's just learning a bad habit or trying to break a bad habit in diving, which is, is really hard to do. If your goal is set up here and you're only right here and you truly, really want this, it's easy to make, or it's easier to make that change and get out of your comfort zone and try something new or get over the fear and, and chuck yourself off that high platform because you want to reach that really high goal. Right. And I, I try to instill that in my athletes. And really, we try to stay close to our goals and talk about them regularly. And, and I hold them to a high standard for that reason. So it's easier to break those barriers, to make those changes, and, and to get over um, any fear or, or block bump in the road that they might have. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really good insight. Those goals are constantly pushing, constantly pushing you. For sure. Hold yep. on two seconds, Aaron. Yep. Uh, it's like 350. <clears throat> okay. So um, I'm interested. I love asking coaches this question. Can you tell me one thing or a couple of things that you've learned as a college coach that you wish that you knew as a student athlete, or if you were like, man, I understand, or that one little aha moment, I understand why my coach did that back in the day. Hmm. That's a tough question. <laughs> I definitely get those all the time. I'm trying to think of a way to put into, into context and just use one example. Um, I would say, I would say having a sense of urgency in everything you do, okay. specifically with, with students and student athletes, just because typically you go to college for four years. And something that I learned later in my career was have, having to have the sense of urgency. Change now. Do things now. Don't wait till next year. Don't wait till next month. Do it right now so you can get better now or more comfortable with whatever you're doing right now. So then you have the next months or years to already be comfortable and familiar with that situation or that dive or that competition or whatever that is. So I think one thing that I learned late in my career and that a good piece of advice is have a sense of urgency with what you're doing because at time goes fast can you remember when you were a freshman in college thinking oh my gosh i'm going to be here forever i'm a freshman this year is going to last so long it's already so hard mm -hmm. but senior year is going to feel like a lifetime ago you blink your eyes and you wake up and you're graduating it's just like and i remember thinking that my my coaches are always telling me or my mom or my dad or my pastors telling me oh it goes so quick and i'm like yeah right this sucks right now, or I got so long to make that change or do whatever, but it flies. So I would say have a sense of urgency in all areas of your life because it's not going to last forever. Yeah. Time, time flies. And I thought I, the exact same thought process and the exact same thing that you're explaining was what I went through as a college athlete. I was like, I'm a freshman. 
ah, this is taking forever for me <laughs> to yeah. um, get through the college experience. And I would look up, I'm like, whoa, this is my last college game ever. Yeah. Yeah. Scary thought. And then you look back and think, man, I wish I would have done so many things different. Yeah. You know? And as you get older, after you graduate college, it doesn't stop. It keeps getting faster. Nope. I'm sitting here now. I'm Goes three forever. Years, three years into a marriage, and you're yep. close to that as well. I think you might be a little bit more than three. Coming up on four years, yeah. Coming up on four, so it, it all flies. It all flies. Time flies. Yeah. We're almost 30. What would you say? I said we're almost 30. You're almost 30. As soon as you know it, we will I'm be. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm got, a little bit closer I, than you are. <laughs> I got some time. Don't put me in that yet. I'm still trying to stay <laughs> You what, 26? 25. 26? 25, okay. I'm right in between. Yeah, you got a couple years. A <laughs> couple years. Um, so a couple more questions, and then I'm going to ask you what I I'll always ask everyone. Um, okay. So you're a business owner now. How mm-hmm. does it feel to be a business owner? Um, it's a great feeling. And to go back on touching on being fortunate to do what you love and what you have a passion for, the business that I own is a diving club um, where I get to teach kids of all ages the sport that I love and the thing that, that I did for so many years and, and the thing that I care about most. Um, so I get to work with college divers, which is amazing because they choose to be in college and they it's easier to hold them to a super high standard because they have certain goals and, and they're there to do a job and that job is to be a student athlete. Um, and, but like I said, when I had my, my little brothers, when they were really young, I love working with younger kids, um, high school, middle school. And, and I think our youngest kid is, is six years old on the team. So it's a whole different level of teaching when you're working with a six year old mm-hmm. versus a, a 20 year old, um, who's been diving for, for 15 years, you know what I mean? Or for 10 years. So I get to to do all varieties, which is, which is really special. Um, and like I said earlier, it's, it's the thing I love. So, so it's awesome having that. For sure. There's a question I forgot to ask you and I'm gonna put this back in. Uh-huh. Um, so as a coach, so walk me through the recruiting process. What do you look for in a student athlete? Cause I want our student athletes to, to get that perspective as well. What do you look for? So every coach wants the most talented kid. They want the best basketball, football, volleyball, track runner. They want the best player that they can. Um, I think um, there's three things that I really look for when I'm going through the recruiting process. The biggest thing is their character. Are they going to be a good teammate? Are they genuinely a good person? Then I look for if their academics are important to them. And I think if you have those two things, I think with the right training environment and the right coaching, if they're able to set high goals and diving is important to them, they can become talented and they can exceed um, or hopefully reach whatever goals that that they might have. Mm -hmm. But I think just for our culture and our diving environment, the, the two things that I look for first are their character and to make sure the academics are important to them. And then the third thing I look for is potential. I'm, I can see just by watching some video 
um, of a diver. They might not be the most polished diver. They might not have achieved U.S. nationals or qualified to senior nationals yet, but you know when you look at a kid, if they can run fast and jump high, you can tell that they're athletic. And in a similar way, you can see that in diving. We flip a lot in diving, so you can tell by how fast somebody spins if they're they're pretty athletic, or you can tell by how high they jump. Or another piece that maybe if they're not quite as athletic in jumping or spinning fast, if they are pretty polished, they might have um, easier dives as far as degree of difficulty. But if you have a lower degree of difficulty and you perform them very well, you can oftentimes beat a lot of the divers who might have the big degree of difficulty that might miss the dives. If they don't get a high score on the dive, um, sometimes the easier dives can beat them. So there's different ways to look at the potential, but those are the three things that I look for. Character first. I want them to be a good teammate and a good person. Athletics or academics, excuse me, important to them. And then potential. I think with those three things, if you if they can set goals and, and work hard, um, they could they have a good chance to to become a pretty good diver. Um, but we're going to be good people and good teammates to to others on the team. They're going to respect people. Um, I I don't want to have to worry about people in the classroom. Um, I was enough of a headache on my coach, so I don't want I don't want anybody to do that to me if I can help it. Uh, and then potential. So how do you measure or quantify somebody's character? How do you know if someone has good character or bad character? That's tough. Um, I try to read people the best I can. Um, Oftentimes the recruiting process starts with a phone call um, or email exchange. Um, So it's hard to tell there, but I try to get a relationship with their club coach if I can. Um, And diving is a pretty small community. So I tend to know a majority of the coaches, at least the bigger clubs. Um, so if I'm recruiting somebody from, from a club team, I, I hope to know their coach or I can ask a coach who knows that person, that individual diver or their, their coach um, to get a good read on them. Mm-hmm. So I'm fortunate to have some good friends in the, in the junior diving world that will give me an honest answer on some of the talent or the, some of the divers that they might've seen or have gone to meets with. Uh, but not everybody's going to tell me the truth and I don't make the right decision every time. Um, but, and then the other thing is bringing them on an official visit and having them meet my team and hang out with the team for 48 hours. Um, we have a, a great, group right now of divers who all of them have great character they're all excellent students um and they after the weekend when the divers get back on their flight or they drive home i ask the whole team hey what do we think about them are they going to fit in well are they going to cause drama are they going to cause issues are they going to be beneficial to our program and for the most part they they'll tell me the truth because they don't want anybody to come in and hinder the good thing that we have going. So I, ch- I try to, to trust my divers a lot um, on that. And they, cause you know, everybody's going to have a, a good poker face on in front of, yep. in front of a coach or in front of a future employer maybe, but the team gets to see them for who they truly are uh, maybe at night or any activities where there's not, not a coach present. So, so they tend to help me a lot with that. 
And so, so going back to business, what would you tell okay. a student athlete who wants to own their own business? So some advice that you'll give them about if they're thinking about doing it, should they go ahead and pursue? When should they do it? What made you ultimately want to do it? You know, um, just a little bit of advice for student athletes. I would say to find your purpose and know your purpose. And then I would say, does it align with your passion? And then I would recommend you to have a sense of urgency on that. Um, but first off, ask the question, what is the purpose that I want to start the business? What is the business and what do I want to achieve with it? Um, and then truly know what that purpose is. Do your research on it. Get in touch with yourself. Get in touch with family or other people in that field and know what you're getting yourself into. And then if that's something you want to pursue, have a sense of urgency on it because time flies. Yeah. In the business world, in life in general, everything's always evolving. Someone else is coming out with something new. You're going to have certain clients that come in and they're going to go or they might have siblings that are going to come in my, like in my business. They might have younger siblings that then want to come through my program um, if, if the ship's running well. Right. You know, so having a sense of urgency of doing it really well, knowing what your purpose is to get there, and then trying to run a well-oiled machine if you can. Yeah, yeah, that's real good, Darren. Real good. Um, mm -hmm. So to conclude our podcast, I like to ask everyone this question, just for our student athletes to get some tangible. You've given a lot of tangible steps, but like those last five things um, that you would tell a student athlete that wants to be a college sport. I mean, college student athlete. What would you tell them? Hmm. Five things. It can be any. It doesn't have to be five. It can be three, four, one. Um. The first thing I would tell a high school wanting to be a college student athlete is it needs to be a privilege. You need to go into college with the mindset that. It is a privilege to be there. It's a privilege to have a roster spot. It is a privilege to be on scholarship if you are. It's a privilege to be a walk-on if you are with zero scholarship. And then the next thing I would, next piece of advice I would give is set goals. If you're on a huge team and it's a big team sport, schedule meetings with your coach regularly where it's one-on-one -on -one and try to sit down and have him walk you through what goals to set what's realistic um short-term goals and long-term goals because i truly believe that that can help anybody strive better farther and faster um at a quicker pace um so learning how to set goals and it's got to come with your coach if your coach doesn't believe whatever goals you have it's not going to work as well as it could. Um, and if you don't know what type of goals to set, your coach is in that sport and, and can help you set those. Um, and like I keep saying, just have a sense of urgency on everything. It's got to be a privilege to be there. Um, be respectful to everybody. Um, and then and just be urgent. Be deliberate with what you do. Be deliberate with your academics. Be deliberate with your weight training. 
be deliberate with your diet and just have a sense of urgency, ready to change, ready to be a team player. Um, and, and just, and just try to help, help the, the overall team and, and the bigger reason why you're there. Yeah, that's really good. I like the way that your advice was really thing that you actually do and did when you were a student athlete. So that's really good. Um, well, Darian, I feel like you've been very, very insightful, giving a lot of wisdom to our student athletes who are listening. So thank you so much for being on today. I'll My pleasure. Any last parting words you want to say before we leave? Um, no, I think we've touched on everything. I, I'm happy that you chose chose to have me on it was uh it was a pleasure and i hope this is helpful and if you want to give my contact information when you put this out um if if any athlete wants to to talk to me um maybe they need to go through you first just so we don't have any recruiting violations or anything just because i am a college coach but I would i'd love to talk through you to them if i could help anybody if they wanted to talk with me about my journey or their journey i if i could be helpful i would i'd be i'd be honored to do that thank you thank you for that darian you yeah, would we'll talk offline and then we'll we'll see what if we can put it at the bottom in the link description or it, yeah they can direct con- message me and then we'll we'll do it that way but we'll definitely sure. help them out well darian it's been yeah. a pleasure uh, it's been good we'll see y'all next week all right thanks man